Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to the jobs they really love. In addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. And of course, my guest today is Peter Van Ryder, and we're going to be talking about making your passion your career. Hi, Peter. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me today. Cool, cool. I'll come back to you in just one moment. Uh, For those of you who are new to our show, our purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X, Millennials, and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So every show, we have a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top-rated career coaching service. We focus on the practical tools for your job search, including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website, Personal Touch career services.com once again that's personal touch career services.com or you know you can just google it so hi peter hi donna how are you today i'm good i'm good it's a lovely day in denver but you're actually out in dallas right I am, and it's not so lovely here today. We, if you hear rumblings in the background, it's because we've got thunderstorm warnings all throughout today. Oh, well, that sounds exciting. <laughs> oh, it's a great day to spend inside and record a podcast, I tell you that much. That's a good idea. I, yeah. So, Peter, you and I have known each other for years, but uh, the rest of the audience doesn't know who you are. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Well, I was born in Fort Worth, uh, traveling a lot all throughout my childhood. Um, We never really lived in one place for more than five years until I was uh, an adult living in uh, Houston. Um, I lived in Switzerland as a child, uh, Southern California. I've been on the East Coast uh, here in Central and Texas. And when I was younger, you know, that, that really bothered me that every couple of years I had to make new friends. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was tough as a young child, but as an adult, I, I'm really grateful for it. Um, I think it makes me the, uh, the, the professional I am today, being able to uh, be adaptable, learn new cultures, and just uh, getting to become friends with new people. So a lot of travel throughout my, uh, throughout my storied life. And I am now, I call Dallas, Texas home. Dallas has been a great, great city to me. And there is just a ton of money coming in here now. Right. Which is important for what you do professionally because you are an estate manager. Um, correct. Yes, indeed. And love every second of it. Right. So for uh, any of our audience members who don't know, you know, estate managers are the ones who take care of multi-million dollar private estates. It's kind of an interesting niche. So of course, Peter wants to be where the wealth is because that's where the high net worth are. Absolutely. That's, uh, you know, and most people actually out there say, well, all the money is on the East Coast or the West Coast. And they're really uh, turning a blind eye to 
the the amount of wealth and the number of businesses that are coming into Dallas and North Texas these days. We have mm-hmm. companies like Liberty Mutual, Allstate, Toyota's new headquarters is world headquarters is only uh, a couple miles north of where we live so it's it's really profound and it's a wonderful untapped market at that right right and interesting enough i was trying to remember where you and i originally met i think it was at a dema conference and dema is the domestic estate management association uh so we've we've known each other quite a few years now yeah, I want to say it was at the very first one or the very first conference. What was that? That was in LA in 2014, I think. Yeah, I think so. It may have even been sooner than that. But anyway. That, yeah, it's, but it, it has been quite amount of time. We won't, well, maybe we shouldn't discuss dates. We might just uh, <laughs> prove our ancientness. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. We're Gen X. We're, we're, we we're relevant. Nobody else it. believes it, but we do. <laughs> All right. So anyways, one of the reasons why I want to bring you on my show is like myself, you believe in doing what you love for your career, just really leaving, living that passion. Um, And I think one of the things that can help define knowing that you're on the right path is like, I'm sure you probably get this where you're just going about your normal day and all of a sudden the thought comes to you. It's all like, wow, everything I have done in my professional life is leading up to right this moment. Because I'm like using all my diverse skills, even though it didn't make sense earlier in my career. It's like now everything has come together in ahead. Do you find that's the same for you? I do. And I would even go uh, maybe a step further with that and saying that everything in my entire life has brought me to this uh, to this career that I, to be honest with you, before I even started in the industry, that I never even knew existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the traveling, all the you know the the international travels. My father had a lot of uh, very uh, powerful connections when we were kids with Latin American governments, and we would have uh, generals and heads of state over to the house for dinner because of what my dad did. And it, so it kind of taught me that uh, without realizing it, it taught me what I, one of the many things that I use today in the sense of um, etiquette and protocol. And, Mm. you know, that, uh, as I mentioned, that adaptability. So everything, yeah, everything I've done my entire life, without even realizing it has led me to this career that I just, I, I do really have a passion for. I absolutely love it. Right. Right. And then there's the flip side of things that uh, living your passion and, and doing the career that you love. Um, now I used to be involved in broadcasting and there's kind of like sometimes these dream careers, especially like around Denver, there's a lot of nonprofits. So people get involved with those and Sometimes we're told, hey, you're getting the privilege of living your dream job. So you should not expect as much salary. Like in broadcasting, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to pay you five to 10,000 below market, but we're going to give you t-shirts and concert tickets and CDs, brand new music and all the rest of that. And we are supposed to be happy. But there really is nowadays... Uh, emphasis of you don't have to starve just to do something that you love, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I don't even think that it's not only in, you know, in the broadcasting industry as you, uh, as the analogy that you used is it, even in the private service, you know, we get, uh, there are, you know, there are standards and expectations for our industry that help with a certain level of income, but there's, there are also certain principals who don't subscribe to that and they will still pay under market value and do that same thing. Oh, well, you know, here's a, here's some cash bonus here. Um, oh, well, we don't need this furniture anymore. So you take it or mm -hmm. clothing. So there are the French benefits, but it really, I think, it comes down to if you're doing what you love, um, no, you don't need to starve for it. But at the same time, uh, you don't need to ma be making, you don't need to be getting rich off of what you're doing. Um, and I think that's what this industry is, is doing what you really, really love. And we are lucky enough to do, we, most of us do get a fair wage for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then again, there's always the, uh, not to pick on um, caretakers, but mm -hmm. there's, for example, Caretakers Gazette is a outlet that has many positions available. It's kind of like a Indeed job board. Mm -hmm. uh, there's all too many situations where they're like looking for a couple to come manage their ranch. The principals or the employers are only there a few weeks out of the year. And it's all like, come live your retirement at our ranch and take care of everything for free. But you get to live in this opulent residents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's like, it's a lot like when, before I started out my career in private service, I spent a couple years running a luxury country inn up in Connecticut mm -hmm. and we would have people come and stay at the country inn and would say, Oh, we, you know, this is so wonderful. We want to be, be innkeepers when we retire. And this is so cool. It's like, this isn't, this isn't something you retire with. This is, it's a whole nother you know, 60 to 80 hour a week job. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not all fun and games. And I, you know, to your point, we do have those principles in our industry. They're like, oh, well, you know, you get to live on property and it's beautiful here. Well, yes, it is, but I'm also on 24 seven. Yeah. So if you kind of take that salary and you work it down to the hourly rate, then it, you are below minimum wage. Yeah. And I think like the old saying that we used to hear in like the nineties and you still hear it kicked around these days too, but I, you know, that if you do job, a work you love, you never work a day in your life. And I'm all like, Oh no, that's not true, man. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm like cranking through resumes at 10 o'clock on Sunday and it's 14 days in a row that I've been working because mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur, I have to, I have, you know, expectations. I have to hit my deadlines and stuff like that. Yeah, it's work. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Work. And you uh, I, I love what I do, but there, there were, you know, there have been many of, you know, 12, 14 hour days. And, you know, some of those days are, you know, scrubbing toilets. Do I love scrubbing toilets? No, I don't, but it's a part of my career. So you're absolutely right. Well, figuratively, you'll never work a day in your life. Literally, yeah, keep on dreaming. You're going to be working all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, like, we talk about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And even if you're doing a job you love, you still need to have work-life balance. 
Absolutely. I've left, I've left positions before. Um, you know, I love the positions, love the principles, but without that, uh, that work-life balance, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how good the job is. Um, you know, there are this, our industry is, uh, is a difficult industry. It's mentally taxing. And mm-hmm. there are people that, tend to go, you know, to the wayside of, uh, you know, drugs and alcoholism. And, you know, there have been a few stories of people taking their own lives because of the pressures of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, just because you love it and just because it's your passion and you enjoy what you do every day does not mean it doesn't take a, a, a toll on you and your life. So you yeah. do have to maintain that balance. Yeah. So we kind of been talking about estate management a little bit and wonder, you know, our listeners are going, okay, what the hell is this living on beautiful properties, but scrubbing toilets. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about um, estate management and your take on this career? Absolutely. Well, you know, at, at its core, I believe that estate management or the private service is is ensuring that the minutia of life doesn't pester our principles. Mm-hmm. In a broader picture, maybe we say that you know, and this is a, a phrase that uh, I cultivated and I really liked, and that I believe that it is the act of giving in which one's own ego and preconceptions are set aside for the preferences of the principle. So it is that, you know, we are making sure that our, our principles, as how we refer to our employers, that our principles have the free time to con- cultivate their personal relationships, their family relationships, but also cultivate their business mm-hmm. uh, indirectly. The more money that they make, the more properties they buy, the more service environments they buy, they purchase. So our jobs naturally expand with that. Right. But it is, you know, it is service. It is service without being a uh, uh, servile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, a bit of perspective, it's not uncommon that you're looking after a 20 to 30,000 square foot residence on 10 acres with an additional, um, you know, townhouse in New York that's another Mm -hmm. 10,000 square feet. Uh, They may have multiple properties in multiple states, maybe a small staff, maybe a large one. Uh, But again, that is defined by the principle and how they want to live their life. Yes. And, and don't forget the planes, boats, and helicopters as well. Oh, yeah. Just a few uh, toys. Yeah. Just, a, just a couple of inc- inconsequential toys, you know? Yeah. But it, all, <laughs> it, is, it is all the service environments. You know, basically what we manage is every, th- every environment that a service is going to be delivered to our principals. And that's what we manage the services at its core. Okay. So how did you realize the estate management was really the ideal job for you? Oh, I didn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When I first got into this business, I didn't, I didn't know that this industry even existed. I'm like many of the people that I talk to now on a regular basis, you know, I go up to them and say, and I had to change my verbiage because I would walk up to them and say, I'm an estate manager. Mm -hmm. Oh, you deal with dead people's money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not not a not that kind of estate, and I had to I had to actually migrate to saying, well, I'm an estate manager and butler, mm-hmm. and 99% of the people I meet say 
oh my God, I had, you're the first butler I've ever met. I've, this is so cool. This is so interesting. Who do you work for? And that goes down a whole nother path of discretion, but. Right. Can't tell you. Have to kill you. Exactly. Sorry. Non-disclosure agreement or my can answer is usually, oh, well, it's someone you would never recognize anyway. So, Mm. um, but it was my ex-wife, actually. She was a chef and a graduate of Johnson and Wales uh, mm-hmm. in Rhode Island. She had always wanted, her vision was to be in private service. And we were in Houston when Enron collapsed. I was just out of getting my certifications, my Cisco and Microsoft certifications. Mm-hmm. Enron collapsed, flooded the market with all these super high-end uh, computer techies. So I looked at my wife, we both knew that, or we were both aware at that point in time that New York was really the epicenter for private service in the United States. Uh-huh. So we said, you know what, we're going to pack up, we're going to move up to New York and, and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. And um, she was not able to find a job on her own because of lack of experience. She had the education, but she didn't have the experience. So we said, well, let's put her, uh, we were actually talking with a placement agent and they said, well, let's put your experience together onto one resume and create a domestic couple mm-hmm. out of you. And, you know, it, it, anybody in our industry knows that domestic couples are usually in high demand because you tend to get two for one, uh, mm-hmm. you know, two people for one salary. And it, it benefits the clients all around. Um, so we, we took my hotel management background, my technology background, her culinary background, put it all together on one resume. And then we actually went to work in that country in for two years as a live-in uh, position mm-hmm. to prove that we could live, work together 24 hours a day. Right, because it's and, entirely different of... Uh, yeah, exactly. Like you said, 24-7 with the person you're married to and working with. Not everybody can pull that off. No. I didn't I didn't pull it off the first time around. You know, my, my ex-wife and I, we went through several positions. And one, one reason or another, the position didn't work out. Eventually, it took its toll on our marriage. And in uh, 2010, we got a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but that's not saying that it doesn't work. Because my wife now, who is also a chef, um, she she came to work with me as a part of my company, and I one thing I can tell you is I don't I don't like going a day without being around her. So oh, how sweet! Oh, I know, I know. There's a little bit of codependency there, but uh, it is. <laughs> So, you know, but back to the original question is that, you know, I, I kind of fell into this industry mm-hmm. and I don't think that I really, at first I followed the industry because I thought it was the best option for me and all that I could do. And I really don't think I realized it was a true, true passion until about 10 years after being in the industry. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, things just light bulbs started going off left and right, and that's when I discovered, no, this is you know this is really a passion. This is this is an amazing industry that we get to do some amazing things in. And someone like myself, who is you know well well traveled, I I barely got out of high school. 
Um, I tested out, got my GED. Um, I never went to college. I could never focus on it. Um, so I did, I did go to trade schools to, for computers and the such, but you know, so this, this industry originally, I kind of saw it as an industry where I could, um, sacrifice of myself and of my personal time and my personal life in order to generate an income mm-hmm. and a very good income that, you know, most people with, uh, with long, you know, long-term degrees, won't necessarily see in uh, until later on in their careers. Right, right, right. So one of the things that I think is very important for demanding careers like this is getting some good support from your family and friends. So uh, how was your support system through all of this, you know, demanding career that you have? You know, um, in the early days, uh, it was, it's very solitary because none of our families uh, really knew what we were doing. Uh, it is, it's definitely one of those industries that the people on the outside don't really know what's involved with doing what we do. Mm-hmm. And until they get into a home and they start doing it, do their eyes become open? And that's when you do see professionals that are falling, you know, they decide, well, this isn't for me. It's not what I thought it was. So it's, it, it is, it can be difficult on friends and family. We've, I've lost a lot of friends along the way and that comes, you know, dating after I was, uh, after the divorce was difficult because I would have to tell them, look, we may be out to dinner, but if I get a phone call, I've got to pay the bill and leave. You yeah. know, I, I'm sorry to do this, but this is the life I've chosen. And it's the same thing for friends. Um, you know, to this day, my brother kind of just looks at me, smiles and nods, um, thinking I'm a little bit off my kilter. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom still struggles to, to understand the sacrifices that we make. Uh, you know, ever so often she's like, well, Peter, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yes, this is what I love, mom. This is, you taught me to follow my passion and that's what I'm doing. So leave me alone. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, very supportive, but they, you know, they really don't have they are outwardly supportive, but I'm sure on the inside, they're going, what is he thinking about being a, you know, being a servant, basically. Right. And then, yeah, like, um, my dad to this day still doesn't understand what I was doing in broadcasting anyways. But, Mm -hmm. you know, after a time you find out, oh, your parents had some kind of weird dreams for you in the first place. Like, I only found this out in the last year that, uh, now, I was pretty successful in broadcasting. I was in the business office, and I was a morning show producer for the heavy metal station here in town. And then I was in the HR department at the PBS station. Yes, Channel 6 TV. <laughs> the land of Elmo, from, heavy, from Metallica to Elmo. I was just going to say that. Uh, <laughs> that was quite a change of scenery there, Donna. <laughs> yeah. But um, my dad was all like, if your life had gone different, if you had went to college right away after – uh, high school, you would have gone to CU Boulder, and you would have been a, a Shakespearean actor. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, oh I didn't realize that was the vision that you had for me, Dad. <laughs> I know, right? I just couldn't believe that. I'm like, okay, DJs get paid better than Shakespearean actors. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he doesn't believe that. So it's like, all right. 
That's um, great. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit uh, more about your early career. As you mentioned, you had some of those first jobs that, you know, were not the right jobs for you immediately. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that is the beginning of, uh, of every private service professional's career. Uh, most careers actually. <laughs> okay. You know, cause it is tough. You, you know, in, in a lot of other careers, so say you become an accountant, well, you're doing accounting period, mm -hmm. you know, you're going into an office. So, you know, if you don't like company A, you move on to company B, uh, company C, company D until you find your, the right fit as far as company culture goes. But in our industry, you know, we don't have a company culture. We have, mm -hmm. we have a home and the home is filled with person and personalities and, and, you know, the energy and the, the energy of that family. So it is, you could be the best, you know, the analogy I always like to use is, is the chef analogy. Mm -hmm. You could be the best chef in the world. You can have every award, every accolade, every Michelin star out there. But if Mr. and Mrs. Smith don't like Italian food, and that's what your specialty is, then doesn't matter how good you are, you're mm -hmm. out the door. Your resume mm -hmm. is immediately thrown out, even if you walk through the doors. So it does take a professional in our, uh, in our industry is several tries and it's what makes it that's what makes our industry very difficult is you know they they look for longevity uh, we look for skill sets but in the beginning it can be difficult to identify what home it is that you want to work in mm -hmm. um, you know you have this idea of what you think but then you get in there and all of a sudden it's like oh well, no no oh my god this person is crazy you know, they need to be medicated. Why are they? And there's no HR laws to protect us. So, you know, there's a lot of these idiosyncrasies that, that go into it. And I did have to find, I ended up having to find my voice and saying, and a few tidbits of understanding, you know, some of the lessons I've learned was one in the interview, inevitably um, from smaller families so the high net worth not necessarily the ultra high net worth that has a a layer of staff before you even get to the principal you know a mm -hmm. lot of them say well we want you to be a part of the family mm -hmm. and that's you in the beginning you kind of buy into that and you're like this is so wonderful i'm going to be in your home i'm going to be a part of the family you're going to pay me to be here wow this is so cool but the reality is is that you're not a part of the family mm -hmm. um plain and simple because you wouldn't be there if they weren't giving you a paycheck. So, right. you know, that negates that whole convert uh, argument there. Um, right. You know, and also where to draw those, those boundary lines. Um, you know, your personality, because again, we don't have an office. We don't have walls that dictate this is the manager. This is the owner. This is the boss. Uh, so we have to walk a very delicate line between being friendly, but not familiar and friendly, but also, uh, the consummate professional mm -hmm. and being careful of being dragged into their personal conversations. You know, these are all very difficult, uh, avenues to navigate. 
in, in your early career, in any one of these early careers, these aren't things that you're necessarily going to readily understand and you have to fall flat on your face. But as long as you're learning from them, you're moving in the right direction. Right. So was there ever a time that you just thought about abandoning this whole idea and walking away? Absolutely. Uh, definitely. And, and anyone who says that they don't, I, I, I got to ask if what kind of medication they're on because I wouldn't mind some of that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it is. And, it, and it's simply because we all get burned out. We put, because this is our passion, because this is something uh, I drive to do, that does mean that the negativity tends to weigh on me a little bit more than it would on a job that I just walk into an office and do. Uh, If I were to go into and, you know, be a a coordinator for maybe an office manager or something to that effect, it's like, okay, I'm going to go in, do my thing, go home, forgot something, don't care. Here, our failures are very personal Mm -hmm. and because we put our hearts into it. And it can be, uh, it can be very taxing Uh, even in, so most recently in November, um, my wife and I finished a long-term client contract and it took me probably about two months to really, you know, pull myself off the couch and, and admit that I do want to continue with this, you know, in the very beginning of that process, uh, you know, my wife was looking at me going, well, you really love doing the teaching. So you should, you know, open up the business again and, and get back to the teaching and consulting. And I would wave her off. Going, I don't want to No, No, I think I want to want to do something completely different. I had actually lined up a uh, uh, interview with Marriott hotels to be a director of residences uh-huh. uh, for a W here in Dallas. And uh, you know, that was that was kind of where my focus was until I was able to rest, you know, recuperate and regain that balance. And then I said, you know, honey, you're absolutely right. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to leave this industry. I do love the teaching and the consulting and the helping out my fellow professionals. So you're honey, again, you're right. I'm going to get my butt off the couch and, and get this back underway. Right. But I think it's really important to, if in cases where you're burned out, because it sounds like you were burned out. Very much. You need to take that step back and you have to rest and recuperate. And, you know, I work with a lot of people in career transitions and, you know, they maybe they're laid off or for whatever reasons they're in between, in between positions and they kind of freak out about it. And it's like, no, Take a look at this as a moment to reevaluate where you are, rest, mm-hmm. recuperate, and make sure you're moving in the best direction for you. Yes. And, and, and then, you know, because listening to your heart's a very difficult thing when, when your mind is cluttered. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's why you gotta, you gotta clean out the mind, clean out the cobwebs, regain balance, and then step back and say, you know what? No, this is, you know, if you are following your passion, if you're not following your passion, then that's when it's time to say, okay, maybe I do want to do something else. Mm -hmm. Um, But don't, not while you're trying to regain perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So let's talk a moment about some of the other pivot points or that you've had in your career or times when it was to, you were pushing through really to the next level. So was there like a specific event that really changed your perspective on your career? Uh, yes, actually. It was, uh, and I remember it well. Um, I had just moved to Texas in, uh, in 2010, and I had moved to Dallas without a job, without prospects. It was just where, I, where my, my, my path was calling me to be. And I, I did a quick Google search. I don't remember exactly what I searched for, but I came across the phone number for Michael Wright. And uh, I, I gave him a call. And then after a few conversations with Michael, I was, uh, you know, all of a sudden I started realizing, and again, this is, you know, this is 10 years, almost 10 years after coming into this industry, Mm -hmm. I started seeing this bigger picture and this hole that was in our industry. Um, The same struggles that the same things I struggled with in my early career, the overpriced education that, that, you know, not only took too long, but wasn't necessarily applicable to the jobs out there. Um, that uh, it was uh, my conversations with him opened my eyes to additional options, a bigger world of private service professionals. So there, you know what, it's like, oh my gosh, there are people that like to do what I do and holy moly, I could talk to them. This mm-hmm. is great. So that kind of, it, it, it changed my perspective from being, you know, completely isolated, completely solitary to all of a sudden realizing that there is this larger uh, pool of professionals out there that are in the same situation I'm in which was, you know, what it, it was relieving. It was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And it's, it taught me to see, it opened my eyes to the holes that are in the industry, which helped me start to develop my business as it is today. All right. So how would you describe your career now? Do you actually still love it? Probably more than ever. Um, especially since I've been able to, you know, I've, I've had, uh, I've worked for several families in my career span. Uh, I've had short-term, long-term projects. I've, uh, you know, uh, I've been able to uh, develop uh, educational processes that will help other professionals so, you know, all of these things, the, the struggles in the early career, the people that I've met, they've all come to this uh, culmination of what I get to do today, which is, in my opinion, is, is even better than what I was doing 10 years ago. Um, I probably also part of that I know more now, so it's a little bit easier to tackle obstacles in my way. And that just come, and that's just something that comes with experience. But I, I absolutely love this industry. It is, it's like no other in the world. Right, right. And and to that end, you've been focusing on giving back. So, um, you mentioned that you're doing some teaching. Why don't you just tell me a little bit more about uh, 
the things that you've been uh, teaching? Absolutely. Well, my, my main class that I, that I put together years ago is called the essentials of household and estate management. Uh And it was, uh, it was put together with, with a couple of things in mind is one right now we have more and more popping up, but back then, you know, even just 10 years ago, our educational options in our industry were, were few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, only a handful of classes or schools uh, across the world, really. Uh, but at that point, when I was looking, there were only two classroom classes in the United States. And that was Charles McPherson up in mm-hmm. Toronto, well, mm-hmm. not in the United States, but North America. Um, Charles McPherson up in Toronto. And then um, Mary Louise Starkey in Denver. Mm-hmm. And that, and that was it, but they cost ten to $15,000 for four weeks. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, uh, the Charles McPherson, I really think has probably, if, if you can afford it both monetarily and time-wise, then I think it is a, it's an excellent option to pursue. Um, go to Charles McPherson up in Toronto. He's got the best educational program out there. Um, that fits those parameters. Yeah, I agree too. But not everybody can take the time or money to do that. Exactly. And that was the biggest, the biggest issue I had. You know, most principals, um, they're not going to let their private service, they're not going to let their house manager, estate manager, butler, housekeeper, whomever, leave for four weeks for an education. So you either have the time to do it but then you don't have the money because you don't normally don't have a paycheck or you got the money, but you don't have the time to go. Right. So I wanted to, I put together a two day course. Day one, we talk about the uh, non tangibles of working with the high net worth, how to speak to them, how not to speak to them, when to speak to them, how to establish, um, you know, employee uh, protocols, uh, the whole, you know, basically the full soup to nuts on the non-tangibles of the industry. And then the second day is all of the foundation that you need to write a household operational manual and mm-hmm. how to manage these residences. Because the, you know, the struggle I had was a lot of that, uh, you know, we're not a part of the family. Well, I thought that was fact, but it is a total myth. So if I could help dispel some of these myths, then to me, I'm already benefiting the, the industry because I'm making their lives, I'm making private service lives, professionals lives better. Right. And um, um, how can people find out more about these classes? The classes, actually, they just have to go to visit our website, uh, High Net Worth Solutions, hnwsolutions.com. Uh, top banner is our services and our classes are listed under there as well as our additional services we offer. Okay, cool. So we're coming up to my favorite part of the show where we're actually going to talk about tattoos. And Peter, I was shocked to hear about how many tattoos you have because with this industry, oftentimes people even put it on their resume that they have no tattoos. So the fact that you you've got four of them i was really surprised you know most people are um and and your apps and one of the things i say is you know i i love tattoos tattoos to me mark 
uh, mark cornerstones of my life. Mm -hmm. And I just make sure that I can wear um, shorts and a polo and not have them seen. Yeah. And that's, you know, to me, I, you, whatever you do, you know, you do you. But I can tell you this much, you're probably not going to get a job as a butler or a state manager if you have a two-inch hole in your ear. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, that's, that's just part of it. Uh, we do, we represent our, the principles we work for by our apparent outward, outward appearances. But yes, I have tattoos. I have a, uh, the Colt emblem is on my right shoulder. I have the Colt. It is a rearing, uh, the Colt rearing up and it is modeled after the, uh, the topper on the Colt armory in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And that all comes from, it's not that I like guns. Well, I, I do live in Texas, so I do have a few firearms, but it doesn't come from that. My middle name is actually Colt. Yeah. And my great, 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 great grandfather is Colonel Samuel Colt, who oh. founder of Colt Armory. So well, that makes sense. that's a little bit of a family history there. Um, I had the word nomad on my chest. Uh, that's an old nickname from uh, having traveled so much and being very nomadic in my life. And then on my back, I have, my back is covered. I have the Chinese uh, five elements with their corresponding virtues or the uh, Chinese five virtues with their corresponding elements mm-hmm. and uh, with some stylized cranes that are flying through it. And uh, just so we give uh, proper credit where credit is due, the cranes, were uh, drawn by my mom and uh, they do mark the end of uh, end of my previous life after my divorce in uh, 2009. That's cool. That's cool. And of course, you're going to send us some pictures so we can put them on our Instagram and our Pinterest page, right? I certainly can, but don't judge them. They are, uh, they are a little bit uh, old and somewhat faded, but I am always happy to share. Absolutely. Don't worry. I, I've got some awful art on me. So Okay, good. <laughs> as long as you put those next to them, Donna, I'll be okay. Yeah, I'll make you look good with some of my busted up old tattoos. Okay, All good. Right. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Again, my guest today has been Peter Van Ryder. Peter, give us your contact information once again. Absolutely. I can always be reached. Uh, my email address is peter at hnwsolutions.com. My number is 214-808-1301. And if I don't answer, leave me a voicemail. I will call you back, I promise. And of course, our website is highnetworthsolutions.com, hnwsolutions.com. All right, great. And of course, as my uh, producer always reminds me, if you like the show, heard something you like, give us a like, share us on your social media platforms, give us a comment. Don't say anything mean, be decent people. And we shall catch all of y'all next time. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter.